This is that day set aside, of course, as Father's Day. It occurs every year on the third Sunday in June. And we, along with comments Brother Roger made earlier, would wish to share, of course, a happy Father's Day to each of the fathers in our, in our assembly today. And it is that idea that prompted this lesson. We're going to give a study to one of the fathers whose materials, or at least whose description is given in the Bible, namely the father of the prodigal son. If you'd be turning to Luke 15, in just a moment I will in fact join you at that location. You may have noticed that as a part of the reading though that Brother Colonel read from 1 Thessalonians 2.11, the comment was made as a father cherishes and charges his children. That is certainly one of the things that goes along with fatherhood, isn't it? To charge, to exhort, and to prompt as needed. And certainly as a part of that, to, to cherish and adore the blessedness of a child. Today, as you and I think about not only matters of fatherhood, may I say that the things the Bible has to say about that can be a great encouragement to each of us, so much so that this opening slide looks like this. The Word of God has so much to say, not only about fathers, but also to fathers. And so much of that information can be an encouragement to each of us in the roles that you and I have as a person in our own family. The prodigal son, I suppose, is one of the most well-known records in the book of Luke. You might recall that in that presentation of Luke 15, you and I are going to begin in just a moment in verse 11, and we're going to read all the way through the end of the chapter. Now, I know that's a bit of a lengthy reading, but nonetheless, the thoughts set before us, and as I read it, I want you to think intently about the Father. What are some things that cross your mind about His reaction, about the way in which He deals with His Son, and the circumstances that prevailed? And he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the young son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee. I am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe, and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand, and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf, and kill it, and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead, 
and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come, and thy father hath killed the fatted calf, because he hath received him safe and sound. And he was angry, and would not go in. Therefore came his father out, and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid, that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead, and is alive again, and was lost, and is found. An almost timeless record, isn't it? To appreciate the development as the Lord described it, this presentation of this amazing and unforgettable parable, and yet with it, you and I today are going to cast a spotlight on specifically the Father. Now, many a lesson could be constructed on the son, the younger son, and many could be constructed on the elder son, but what about the father? Well, I've made a few highlights of not only the record that gets us going. Now, that slide is just a very brief summary of that which you and I just read. Jesus had just been asked a question in verses 9 and 10, and in His answer to the question, He gave this remarkable presentation. Wouldn't you and I enjoy it so much if we were skilled enough to answer someone's question with an unforgettable scene like this? That's what the Lord could do. And as He stated that, He talked about a father that had two boys, two sons. There was, of course, an older and a younger, and we're quickly reminded that the younger one had a request of his father. Give me my portion of the inheritance. Dad gave it to him. But the text quickly reminds us, he took it, and not many days after getting it, he took it into a far country and wasted it with riotous living. You'll notice the scene, though, began to take a turn for the worse for the young man in this place. He began to be in want. The friends that he so notably had had before left him and deserted him, and he found himself in great need because there was a famine in the land. And so he joined himself to a person who hired him to feed hogs to a Jew that was unthinkable. And yet here he was, and he was so hungry, he was even prepared to ponder, to think of eating what the hogs were eating. But the text says he came to himself. He reached a point of appreciation as to where he then was and what he left behind. He made the determination to confess I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, Dad. And he was happy to go back, not as a son, but just as a hired hand. You'll notice he followed through on his indication. He proceeded back. And while he was yet some distance away, the father saw him coming. The father didn't hide, didn't play a guilt trip upon him for what he had chosen to do. But after the son's change of heart, change of mind and procession into what he was doing, 
the father had the fatted calf killed for him. Put the shoes on his feet and the ring on his finger. My son was dead and he's now alive. Well, that son was in the far country, you see. He was basically dead. He was apart from everything meaningful, apart from everything worthwhile and noteworthy in his life. He had made such a poor set of decisions. And yet, as the father welcomed him home, he made pronouncement of celebration, a time of jubilation, a time of extreme happiness. You may notice as we transition to verse number 25, the elder son. He was out working, of course, when the younger son came back. And as he finished his day, apparently, and arrived back at the place, he observed celebration and heard about these things taking place. And he was angry. He was beside himself and refused to go in. He not only would not go in and compliment the father for making preparations, he wouldn't even welcome his brother back home. He was that angry. After a while, the father, I'm sure, recognized the absence of his older son. He came out to speak with him, and the, young, and the older son then made remarks like these. I have been by your side this whole time, and you've never given me a calf to kill for my celebration with my friends. The father said, don't you know? I've already given all the inheritance that he's going to get. Everything I have is yours now. Every bit of it. My son, your brother, was dead. He's home safe and sound. We haven't known where he was at. The details of his existence have been distant from us. He's home. And with that, verse 32 closes it. It was proper for us to celebrate. It was fitting for us to enjoy his coming home. After rehearsing a bit about that parable and the features in it, what about the Father? Could I invite you to consider several observations about the Father? Here's the first one. Did you notice as the whole scenario began that one of the things that was certainly true about the Father, He listened to the request of the Son. When that younger son made requests, give me my portion of the inheritance. You may also notice later the father listened again. When the son came home with a change of heart, dad was there to listen. May I suggest that's one of the things that a father will do. He will listen. He may not always agree because his judgment may be different. But at least he's willing to hear. And he's willing to listen. On that slide, of course, one of the things you and I shall do is to think about our Heavenly Father. Brother Gary has led us in songs today in which God has been an overwhelming theme. God is so good. We even sang about the nature of God's family. And we even highlighted the greatness and awesomeness of God. But in all that, could you and I not see a number of things that certainly should be overwhelming to us? God listens to us. Now one more time. We know that in a position of habitual sin in which we've turned our back upon Him, we ought not expect Him to listen. We ought, ex ought not expect Him to grant that which we've requested. But isn't it amazing how that one of the attributes that the Word of God sets before us is that of a listening Father. As you close that particular thought, 
notice one of the compl- the statements I ask you to, to, to observe with me. In Proverbs chapter 18, verse 13, even in the Old Testament book of Proverbs, wasn't it highlighted about the wisdom that goes with a listening father? Are you and I thankful for a father who listens? Surely our heavenly one we should for our earthly fathers that listen. I hope we're thankful and grateful, mindful that there are those children upon earth who aren't so blessed. The thought of a listening father merely brings me to point number two. This one is one, I suppose, that isn't as friendly. And it's not quite as easily to, to be observed, but isn't it true? A father's uncompromising. How so, and how has that developed? Did you notice this? I wonder for how long the younger son had wanted to participate in certain things that he could not participate in while living in dad's house. Certain things are just not tolerated. Certain things are not acceptable, and certain things dad won't approve of. Did you notice, and could I invite you to even underline it, if that's something that you would wish to do, in the opening statement of verse 13, not many days after. Did you notice the son didn't have the inheritance for years and then made this decision to leave? Not many days after getting it, he apparently already had plans of where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do. And all the while, again, he apparently wasn't able to do that while living in Dad's house. I hope you and I will have a keen fondness for understanding that when Dad said no, oh, we probably didn't like it then. In fact, we probably hated it then. But I hope with years of wisdom we've come to realize Dad knew best. His judgment and wisdom came from years of experience and from a point of view which we at the time did not have. It was many days la- not many days later the son took all this new gotten wealth and went to a far country. The uncompromising character of what's right is something I suppose we ought to be honored in light of fathers committed to it. You'll notice one of the statements I've asked you to appreciate there. It is a statement that the, that the older brother made. Now, how it was that the older brother knew this, or even if he knew it at all, he made this assertion. Did you note verse number 30? But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots. The older son charged that the younger son actually had gone off and been with prostitutes. And that's at least a part of the way he used up that inheritance money the father had given. I would take it that either the older son had known this or the younger son had talked about it while before he left, that that was what he was going to do. Either way, that couldn't be done in dad's house. I hope you and I are mindful then that in the father's house, there is an uncompromising devotion to truth and to what's right. That's true in God's house too. Not everything goes in the church. You and I know that. The New Testament so often speaks about God's family as those committed to the truth which God has set forth and not everything's tolerated because God says no on so many occasions to the ideas of men. What about point number three? What else might we say about the Father? 
I've asked you to appreciate here that the Father had made provision, apparently abundant provision. Did you notice this father had servants? And even the son who was in the far country said, My sir, father's servants are better off than this. How many servants there were, we don't know, but apparently at least two because he used the plural. Those servants in the father's house were such that they, again, had provision. How much more about those sons? A father will provide. You and I, again, know that so well because the examples that all of Scripture point out the beautiful recognition of that to us. As we sojourn through life, we recognize the physical needs of the body, food and shelter and clothing and things like that. And we understand that the attribute of that provision is such that God has placed upon the Father the primary responsibility to ensure that those needs are met and that those are provided for appropriately. It is for that reason that we notice here this father had been dutiful in that respect. The sons hadn't lacked for those things of necessity in life. Today, may you and I again ponder about the nature of fathers who labor and work, and certainly mothers do as well, making sure that the children have what they need. The father apparently had such that The son made this request in verse 12. Give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. The younger son knew some allotment of that which had been saved up was going to be his. I want it now. I wonder how wise the father thought that request was. I can't help but believe the father would in wisdom have wondered, will now be the best time to give this to him? He chose to give it to him. I wonder if it had been better, the father thought, if it could wait a couple of years. If it could wait for a time until the son were more seasoned with experience and better prepared to use it wisely. Today, what about our heavenly father? Does God sometimes withhold from you and I things we ask of him because he knows the time right now is not the best? that we will not be the best servants with regard to that blessing then. Maybe a couple of years from now is when we'll get it. Maybe five years from now is when we'll get it. You know, one of the answers that God does give to prayer is, not now, wait a little while. Sometimes that's by far the best thing. In this case, the father chose to grant the son's request at the time. It didn't turn out so well. Isn't it true that there were times in the Bible that folks made requests of God? He gave them the request. It didn't turn out well. Have you and I been in that position? Sometimes we learn the grandest teacher is bad mistakes. Due to choices made that were not wise, but yet at the time we didn't have the mentality and the wisdom to see it. Surely in that connection, a father provides Let's close that thought by saying this. The father that, of course, behaves justly and equally toward all, never prejudiced. One of the greatest ills that arrives is that issue of partiality that leads to division in families. Notice this father treated those sons in a very respectful way. What about the next point, point number four? What else about the father comes to your mind and mine? Could not the word compassionate be a very appropriately used word? 
there's certainly a time for harshness with the way in which a father may be called upon to deal with a problem and a certain set of behaviors in a family. But that shouldn't characterize him all the time. A family needs to see his compassion, the deep-seated concern for their well-being that he has within him. Perhaps even a tear shed on those matters of great disappointment. And at the very least, a mentality that leads toward, again, a betterment in whatever capacity he's able to share it. Look at this father. That son had been gone, and we do not know how long exactly. But for some amount of time, for all those funds to have been expended, and for some time beyond that, for him to have tried to make his way in the far country. Could we pause long enough to say, this world offers a lot of far countries. And I don't mean just geographically. We can be living close by and still be living in a far country. The son made a horrendous mistake. Wasting this degree of substance that he had been given. And you might notice that the language that is really what's presented to us is language worthy of a bit of reflection. In verse number 13, again it says, Not many days after, the younger son gathered all together. He didn't leave anything behind. And took his journey into a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. The word wasted means to squander. He didn't use it respectfully. He didn't use it wisely. He didn't use it well. He squandered it. Not only that, that word riotous literally means wasteful. He had nothing to show at this point. How easy might it have been for some fathers to say, well, you've made your bed, lay in it. I want nothing to do with you. Don't come back here. I don't even want you as a hired servant. Anyone who would waste the years of toil and labor which I invested to make that available, and yet you treat it so disrespectfully. You and I notice the Father didn't behave this way. May I again read verse number 20. He arose and came to his father, but when he was a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. I don't know how old the father was, but the text says he ran. I don't know other features of perhaps his physical disabilities, but he ran. And the text says that he saw him a great way off. That would seem to suggest he had an eye for looking. He was so anxious for his son to return. Today, isn't it a delightful thing to portray a compassionate father like that? The father won't excuse the behavior of the son, but when the son, when the child makes repentance, when that child makes a decision to come to his senses, the father is there to support. The father is there then to give a strong note of encouragement. This prodigal son's father is a fairly special gentleman, wasn't he? You may furthermore notice, as I've asked you to appreciate on the slide, some of the language the father used is very telling. In his mind, the son was dead when he was in the far country. Now, physically dead, certainly he wasn't. 
but dead to what was noteworthy and what was important and what was significant and dead to the realities of where he ought to have been. The son was dead. Don't you know how excited the father was that the son came to his senses? Now, it certainly could have been the case the son could have come back to his father groveling and basically asking for his position back, but he didn't. He said, I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. I'm just happy to be a hired servant. His whole attitude was different. He came to a position and appreciation that where he wanted to be now was not in the far country. The far country didn't offer any longer what he desired. That indicates to repentance, doesn't it? A change of appreciation. That compassionate Father again leads us to note this language. That text that we highlighted earlier in 1 Thessalonians 2.11, a Father, a godly Father, will be one who nourishes and cherishes and charges His children. This Father had apparently instilled with the Son enough of an understanding of what home meant and how much the son would later want it. Doesn't that remind us of Proverbs 22, 6? Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. Apparently the son, in coming to his senses, was ready to come home. Lesson number five. The father was a forgiving man. Those mistakes that the son had made, as serious as they were, dad never pretended they didn't exist. He simply was happy the son had come to his senses. Notice, his son was more important than the property that the son had taken. And it's always going to be that way. That child is more important than the car, more important than other possessions that the father may give to the child. It's the son that was important. And he's now alive again. And he's come home. That word of forgiveness surely reminds us of the behavior of our Heavenly Father. You and I make our mistakes as well. But oh, when we come home, don't you know the celebration and the happiness that's in the heart of God? In fact, earlier in this very same chapter, we are given an image, and may I read it exactly, so that we make sure to appreciate the way in which it's written. In Luke 15, verse number 7, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth, more than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. There may be a hundred fantastically faithful Christians, and when one has gone astray, oh, what joy is in heaven when that one recognizes his or her position and comes rushing to the side of, the, of, of his or her heavenly Father. You notice in this instance, this son came home. In the Father's forgiveness, we certainly are given an image of our Heavenly Father, but how sweet it is to think about earthly fathers who portray attributes like those we've discussed so far. Point number six. In this last point of our lesson today, we notice something about a teacher. What wisdom was exhibited by that father. Now we know he taught the younger son many things, including compassion, including the things like forgiveness. 
But notice what he taught, taught the older brother. Here this older brother again was unwilling to join in the celebration. He quite frankly was resentful. And yet the older father in calmness, with directness of language and speech, encouraged the, old, the older son to recognize the nature of what was happening. The older son was too selfish. The father in this fine moment not only taught the younger son quite a bit, but he taught the older one some things too. I think we see in all of this, a father will teach many things, and sometimes dads aren't known for their words. They may not talk a lot. But typically when they do, and by the example they set, they will have many things to say. I hope we each can be impressed, not just this prodigal son story, as it presents the prodigal son, but also as it presents his father. As we close that lesson, let's do so with this. It is Father's Day, and we understand the need to always recognize what Gary mentioned. Every day is Father's Day, really, when you think about our Heavenly Father. It's a day to adore and honor Him. But today is that day that we appreciate our physical, earthly fathers and those that are godly and those that present to us some things like we've seen in the character of the prodigal son have been matters of encouragement and matters of great reflection. Today, as you and I examine ourselves, whether we be in the faith, I hope we each recognize that our Heavenly Father is looking afar off. And if you and I will come down this aisle, He's ready to run and meet us, to welcome us home, to welcome us into His family, if that be the situation. The gospel plan of salvation continues to be this. And notice, just like that younger son recognized there were certain things about the father's house, well, there's still certain things about the father's house. First Timothy 3.15 tells us, behaviors that are right, conduct that's righteous. And to enter that family, one, of course, must believe upon Jesus, repent of sins, confess the greatness of the name of Christ, and to be baptized what a joyous and celebratory day. If we could be of assistance in that regard today, oh, how we would wish to do it. However, if for anyone who is strayed away, once a member of God's family, but choosing to stray away, and maybe for a while you've been in a far country, you've come to realize this is no place to live rightly, and it's no place to enjoy fellowship with God, and it's no place to enjoy all the blessings that God would wish to have. And you want to come home. Don't you know that just like the prodigal son's father, he's anxiously awaiting you to make a decision today to come back home, to come to where he wants you to be and to where rightfully you belong. You can choose to stay in the far country, but it'll not be good because, you see, even servants in the father's house have it better. Today, we would wish upon your repentance and your confession, God will forgive those things, wipe that slate clean and celebration just like took place in this passage. Now, we won't literally go out back and kill a fatted calf for you, but oh, what a time of jubilation it'll be. God wants you to come home. If one would wish to do that today, won't you do it while we stand and sing?